It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. My guest today, Rochelle Gordon. She's a cannabis and psychedelic writer and educator focused on the industry news and culture. Rochelle, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really stoked to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you finally. Um, Let's just start with the basics. Like, How did you get into the cannabis industry? What's that story? Um, It was kind of a roundabout way, much like you know, many people in this industry, I always had an affinity for plant medicine. I, um, you know, began my relationship with the plant um, when I was a teenager and I just fell in love immediately. I was an au pair in the Netherlands. So I got to spend a lot of time in Amsterdam and join the coffee shop culture um, in about 2007, which is awesome. And I actually was in education um, at that point, working with kids. But I actually ended up um, being arrested for cannabis possession in 2011. And so I had to leave my teaching job while I dealt with that. And fortunately, was able to get into a diversion court. So I didn't have to deal with a a felony charge on my record. But I had to leave teaching. And I started writing um, kind of as a side hustle, more so on sustainability, education. And then as the legal industry started to uh, come about, I was able to get gigs in that space as well. And then, you know, a lot of right place, right time sort of stuff. Fast forward to now where, you know, I've been able to travel all over North America and beyond um, writing about this plant, seeing new markets come online um, and building a great network. And so it's been a real blessing. Yeah. So you're, you're not just stuck behind a desk, like a lot of CEOs that I talk to and um, they're, they're in the, a snow globe, they're in a tunnel and all they know is about like their industry. So it's, it's, um, I'm interested, I'm interested to pick your brain and see kind of how the industry is transformed as you've just witnessed it, not only written about it, but you've been to a lot of events. Like you were at the world's largest event uh, in Vegas, MJ BizCon. Um, I planned too much. And that's one of the stupid things is like when you schedule too much, you don't get to see things. And so I think that's a big part of it. So I'm going to completely redo how I, I do uh, MJ BizCon next year. I'm wondering if uh, you saw anything at MJ BizCon worth repeating in terms of like uh, cool products, um, anything that's new, neat, or niche uh, on the consumer end or or anything within the industry? Um, well, first of all, I totally feel you on MJ Biz being too much. You can't plan, you know, you really have to just kind of show up and take in the magic, I guess. Um mm-hmm. But for me, what I'm really excited about, there's this company called Sorting Robotics, and they have this um, blunt and joint infusion rolling machine called Jico, and it's really, really cool. And I got a chance to meet um, the founder, actually, at MJ Unpacked in Vegas, and then I saw them again um, at MJ BizCon. And what they're doing um, with the robotics is really, really interesting. They're also doing um, cartridge filling machines. So yeah, it was really cool. And the robot blunts, as I've been calling them, these Jico blunts, um, they really hit. They have, you know, some crazy rosin in them, at least the ones that they were showing off. And yeah, definitely, you know, being able to mass produce these really high quality infused pre-rolls, which as we know, are really popular on the market and only becoming more popular. Um, that was one thing that was really cool. Yeah, I pitched a automatic joint rolling machine to the marijuana show season two in Denver. And uh, yeah. we to get that rolling because I saw uh, Futurola and, and even before that, actually, this is this is an idea I had even before that came out. But it, the the 
concept, the proof of concept came out with Futurola and automation. So I've been waiting for automation to hit the market. When I've seen 18 people on a pre-roll line, it's never made sense to me spending $100,000 on that labor when those same people could be reallocated to be your um, sales team or whatever. You know, there's plenty of other things they could do than to sit there and pretend it's uh, the 1800s and, and rolling, you know, cigars. Yeah, absolutely. The automation that's hitting the industry is really, really impressive. You know, it's it's coming uh, from all angles. Yeah, they're getting creative. Like you said, they're able to put in rosin and infusions. And so um, I'm curious to see kind of where where that leads. Uh, I'm excited for it because I think I was telling you offline, I'm, I'm sampling 155 uh, products for Washington Cup. And a lot of them use um, PGRs. And it's just... I, I thought it was just the stores around my house had tourist weed. And I'm just coming to find out like there's just a lot of that in the industry, no matter where you go. Um, so I am I am looking forward to kind of a new wave where kind of sewers can kind of come out of the woodworks instead of what's out there. Maybe that's maybe that's automation. Maybe that's uh, financing. Maybe that's something new that came out, new technology, whatever. I don't know. But I'm, I'm excited for some change in the industry because what I'm smoking is is trash. Um, Oregon's got some good stuff. Uh, I, I think um, Vancouver, BC's hit and miss. California's hit and miss. There's really good cultivars, really good techniques and strains and um, and, and people, but it's few and far between. I'm noticing. Um, what, what's your take on that? Is is cannabis good cannabis in just abundance, or is it like actually kind of hard to find? I think you just have to know where to look. And I think that the consumers at this point don't know where to look um, because they've been misled that all of this indoor hype weed is the best weed on the market when that's not actually true um, all the time. So I think that people are there's a disconnect between the cultivators and the consumers. And so that's something that we need to reconcile um, to let people know what they're looking for. I don't think people know how to shop for weed either, to be frank with you. Um, I do a lot of secret shopping. Uh, in different markets. And it's one of my favorite things to do to see how the bud tender will try to sell me a product. Um, and then I like to ask them lots of questions um, and put them on the spot. But it really feels like there's a disconnect there and people don't know how to how to uh, shop and they don't know what they're looking for. It's very overwhelming. I think there are a lot of people who are doing really great work to try to educate the consumer, but there's no um, overarching source of information and truth for them. And that's a big problem. I think there's a lot of good weed in Seattle though. I mean, like House of Cultivar, like those guys are crushing it. And, uh, you know, they respect my region guys, like they did a collab with them. And like, that was really awesome. So I think the Pacific Northwest has a lot of really good cannabis for sure. There's exceptions to the rule. There are some good, uh, producers and processors up here, but I think the majority is trash. Um, and so once the industry gets weeded out, there will be a, a couple of ones that that stand out like House of Cultivar. They got some great stuff going on. Absolutely. Uh, Green Revolution. There's there's a few uh, companies out there, a couple, I should say. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of hype, too. Um, I, you know, when when you mentioned it's difficult to find what's good out there, Washington still I can only filter by price or percentage. So it's so I'm, I'm like that that customer from 2015 going, okay, I want the highest THC at the lowest price point. And yet in Vegas, they have ability to search by terpenes. I, I know what I want. I want Blue Dream of circa 2015 with you know a beta pinene and a beta caryophylline and alpha pinene and 
um, humulene and some of those things that that really made uh, mercine that made that blue dream of 2015 really good. And I have no options because I still have to filter by price and TC percentage. It's annoying. Yeah, it's it's really problematic because we're doing the consumers a disservice. They just do not understand um, why something with a lower THC percentage might be better. Um, it's something it's a conversation that I have with a lot of people, especially when I'm trying to explain the differences between distillate and live resin. Um, you know, they say, oh, well, this cartridge is 90 percent THC. How is that not as good? And you try to, I guess I try to explain it like. You know, when you make a recipe for something, you take something out, you know, and that seems to um, like people don't understand that verbiage, you know, like if there's something missing there, you're not getting the full effect. And I try to use that analogy because people just don't get it. They assume higher number equals better than and it's just not the case. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot of hype, too. And so it kind of diverts the attention to the good stuff when you have some of these uh, these other brands out there like um, what was the guy from from Ignite? Dan Blazarian. Oh, yeah. Ass and grass or whatever his campaigns were and just ridiculous. Uh, those were not creative ad campaigns. So this is a terrible transition. But I'm wondering if you have seen any kind of creative ad campaign uh, that you've seen recently. Well, the, um, the Cannabis Media Council just dropped their I'm High Right Now campaign that, um, you know, they did a partnership with 46 Mile and the Hearst um organization. And I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, they're trying to target a new demographic of people outside of the culture, which I think is interesting. Um, they're trying to reduce stigmas um, through the campaign. It's sort of playful and fun and um, just showcases a lot of uh, kind of like senior citizens um, engaging in their everyday activities, um, but under the uh, guise that they're high right now and just kind of trying to erode some of the current stigmas that exist among the cannabis consumer and letting them know that there's all walks of life um, in, in this industry and people who are enjoying this plant. And so I think that's um, making some waves. That's really interesting. Um, one thing that I think was really cool too, is I wrote an article recently about people using Cameo, um, that uh, website where people can kind of pay for celebrity videos and interactions. They're using, com cannabis companies are using that to market their products and their dispensaries. Um, and they're getting really good results. Um, and that's kind of a fun workaround, you know, seeing as how we have so much censorship and so much restriction on the way we can market this product. I think it's really cool that some brands are being a little creative and thinking outside the box and engaging with canna-friendly um, canna celebrities that might be willing to give their product or dispensary a shout out. Yeah, that's really cool that people are actually responding to that. Um, I've got a fintech company as well, and I've reached out to a couple of people um, and they haven't responded. <laughs> So uh, it's good that the cannabis companies are getting some some response. That's awesome. There's a lot of options, though, out there. And um, and there's a lot of noise, a lot of distraction, I guess. And yet you're able to kind of filter through that and get to some really good stories. I see you all the time on a plane going somewhere. Um, I'm I'm curious, really, like how at this point you're still able to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. What? Is, is it the research behind the desk on a computer? Is it out like, you know, boots on the ground? Like what, what helps you stay on top of what's going to be happening in the cannabis industry? It's definitely all of the above. It's the, you know, engagement online. It's looking on LinkedIn. It's listening to podcasts. It's reading cannabis news. It's getting the newsletters. Oh, here comes our dog. 
Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's traveling and it's speaking with people in these different markets. And I think that's a really big piece of it. Um, understanding what's actually happening in these markets and not just in California and not just in more mature markets, but in emerging markets as well. You know, I split my time between Minnesota and California and seeing what's happening in Minnesota, especially with the um, infused beverages is really, really interesting. So I think it's important that you get a good mix. You know, you're keeping abreast of what's going on on a high level um, with the big stories, but then also speaking to the consumers and the people working in the industry in the newer markets, especially. Yeah, and it's changed quite a bit, right? Like when we were not we, uh, if you go back to before COVID and some of the um, highlights on the industry, you know, like VapeGate was was an important issue back then, and some of the financing was really important. And now we're talking about like distressed mm-hmm. um, the industries struggling, and there's going to be mergers. So my point is, there's been a lot of change in, in the industry. So when you first started writing about it and getting into the industry, kind of how has it evolved? um since then um well the budgets certainly have shrunk (laughs) i mean there's no getting around that you know back when um i first started writing in cannabis you know we were kind of flush and there was a lot of investment dollars coming in and people were excited and now i don't want to say people are jaded but the reality is that this industry is struggling and that's a problem right and so i think we've had to become a little bit more creative and certainly more resilient as an industry, and that's nothing new, sorry. Um, but, you know, we've always faced adversity um, as a culture, but now it's, it's at a reckoning point where, you know, it's a sink or swim time and we need to really see some actual movement on the federal level if we're going to make it as an industry. And so I think just the vibe has shifted, right? You know, from this exuberance and excitement to sort of like, okay, like this is happening and that's awesome, but, there are a lot of challenges that we need to, you know, fix before we can move forward and everyone can can see this dream that they had before, I think. And so it's it's, it's sad to see, you know, sad to see good brands come and go. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can get to a point where we are able to thrive. Mm-hmm. Why haven't some of these companies made it? Dope Magazine had to sell. They were two million in debt. They had to sell to high times. Civilized took out five to seven million. They didn't make it. Sensi is still out there, but not really gaining a whole lot of traction. Somebody else took a five to seven million dollar loan and failed too. I forget who that was. Why haven't these companies been able to make it? And you know, with resulting in decreasing budgets and skepticism and everything like what happened? Unrealistic expectation. I mean, I don't want to throw anything in your mind, but like what happened? Well, I think that's sort of a loaded question and, you know, it can vary depending on who you're talking to as to why they didn't make it, you know, like on the media side, a lot of those publications were acquired and then just sort of disappeared. Right. And so was it something where they were acquired so that they would go away? You know, did they intend to actually continue publication? I don't know. Um, But that's sort of the nature of the beast when you live in a capitalist society, right? Like gobble up properties and, um, may the best man win. But I think on a, on a larger scale with what's happening in the industry, you know, a lot of the issues is that we were set up to fail to begin with, you know, and if you're not leveling the playing field, you're not encouraging small businesses to get involved and you're not offering them opportunities to do so and to thrive, you know, they're not going to succeed. I think some of these 
bigger companies that had a lot of cash, you know, it was a lot of poor planning. Um, I think that, you know, they didn't have the foresight to really think long term. I think that a lot of people in cannabis sort of exist in a vacuum and they're so concerned with what's happening right now. They're not really thinking strategically in the long term. But there are so many reasons why businesses are failing in this space. And there's no there's no one right answer. You know, a lot of it's bad luck. A lot of it's bad planning. Um, it just it really just depends on the situation and the market, too. Mm hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, before that there's even tougher regulations on trying to advertise and market and get your name out there. And there's there's a ton of small business mom and pops versus, you know, the number of MSOs, for example. Um, you know, with your experience and running around and everything, do you have any um, suggestions, advice or or any best practices for these businesses on how to promote their brands or products? I mean, it's tough. I mean, if you want to talk about like to the consumer to try to get them out there, I think it's, it's again, it's really about being creative and seeing what you can do um, without being, you know, kicked off of Instagram or, or YouTube. Fortunately, the restrictions are easing up a little tiny bit, um, you know, with, re with regards to advertising, at least CBD. Um, so I think that Google and Facebook are becoming not more friendly, but a little slightly more lenient, I, I, I suppose. I think a lot of it has to do with knowing who your audience is and finding ways to speak to them without having to mention the plant. So for example, trying to be creative, I know a lot of brands will say they're a clothing company, right? On Instagram, and they will have swag and apparel that they can market to their audience. But you know, in the background, they also have their product. And so I think that trying to be a little creative to get around some of the issues that we're facing is is really crucial. The cameo thing, for example, that was really interesting. I think that what was it in the article? It was Columbia Care. They brought in like two million dollars based off just with these cameo campaigns, targeted cameo campaigns on their website. So there's a lot of options out there. You just kind of have to go and find them. Unfortunately, there's just not like it's not as easy to just you know go sign up for an ad somewhere. You really have to think it through and be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of become an ideal spot for influencer marketing. Um, whether or not it's, it's worth the blood, sweat, and tears, I guess, is up for debate. Uh, do you have any advice, though, on how to kind of create that content where uh, it's still personalized, but you're still kind of reaching you know, as many people as you can? I think authenticity is really the key to that. Um, and just staying true to your brand message and your vision and understanding your audience and the type of content that they would like to see and engage with. Um, and obviously, attention spans are really short nowadays. So just keeping it short and sweet and really compelling. Um, and it really just kind of depends on the brand. You know, if you are targeting, um, you know, the boomer demographic versus Gen Z, like your visuals are going to look different. Your language is going to be different. So just really honing in on who you're trying to speak to and trying to be as impactful as possible in your messaging. Mm -hmm. Is mobile going to be that dominant form or can people are still, are people still going to be providing other forms of, of content or is mobile going to be dominant? I feel like mobile is dominant. Everyone's on their phones all the time. Right. And so I think that playing up to that is going to be really important. It is already really important. People scroll, they scroll and they scroll and they scroll and they're not going to sit and watch a four minute video. So I think that having a short and sweet, you know, TikTok or real 
um, is going to be what it's going to take to grab their attention and keep them coming back for more. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of content out there. I feel like there's a lot of, of um, you know, activists and altruistic individuals talking about the plant and everything. I'm trying to normalize it, uh, professionalize it, um, show the, the various business aspects to it. Very small niche market that I'm trying to, to penetrate uh, to, to just kind of showcase how normal it is. Um, but I feel like there's, there's a lot of stories maybe that are just kind of not being heard or, or drowned out. Um, a, a friend of mine locally here in Seattle, Luke Carlin is getting some, some notoriety because his documentaries on the cannabis industry are getting some play. So he finally found his niche and, and was really able to, um, to reach a lot of people over 2 million views on, on his, on his, uh, documentaries. So, so that's good. He's able to break through the noise, but a lot of people haven't. So what are some of the stories that you'd like to hear or what are some of the stories that aren't being covered that you'd like to see more of? Well, one thing that was, has been brought to my attention recently is just, you know, and especially with this case with truly with this uh, employee dying. Um, I think that we need to talk more about the safety of the employees who are kind of on the front lines, you know, in the grows and, and in the shops and the retail um, and making sure that we're doing what we can to protect them and to educate them. I don't think that people on a broader scale within the industry are talking about them um, and some of the hazards that they're facing and just what we need to do as an industry to keep each other safe as we move forward. I'm concerned about that. I was at an event over the weekend and um, someone there was continually monitoring the air quality in the room and saying that, hey, like these levels are, you know, they could be concerning for people who are asthmatic or have other issues. And what are we doing to make sure that as we open consumption lounges, for example, that we are ensuring that these people are safe? You know, air filtration is one thing. Like, what's it going to take to make sure that the air quality is safe for all people? Right. So like, that's something that I'm really concerned about. And just what we're doing in the mainstream media, too, and how we're approaching the mainstream media and our perception in the mainstream media is also something that is something that I've been thinking a lot about and I'm concerned about. I know that the Cannabis Media Council is doing really great work, and I'd like to see more of that uh, on a broader scale. As more and more people become aware of this plan and more markets come online, it's important that we're getting accurate and accessible information to people, especially new consumers. And I don't know if we're doing enough as an industry on a widespread level to ensure that people are getting the access and the information that they need. And that's something that is a little concerning to me, too, and that I'd like to explore. Yeah, I was trying to work on a cannabis cafe in Washington, but there's a class C felony on maintaining and operating a cannabis cafe. So back in 2015, they wanted the equivalent to enough airflow for a 747 jet engine basically hooked up to a window <laughs> and cycling enough. So there's there's a happy medium there for sure. Um, I think we have to figure that out, though. And I think that's going to be a huge impact that people don't really foresee yet as we open up cannabis cafes and people see how um, boring it is instead of nefarious, they'll be able to see. And, and how I explain it is like the eye into the, the community or soul, you get to see the window and soul of the community and how really just boring it, it really is. It's, it's not, oh, there's all these NIMBYs, you know, not my backyards that don't want it. And then once they see it, they'll realize it's, it's not nearly as bad as what a bar uh, or club 
does. So I'm really excited about how that's going to bring um, the industry together. Uh, I'm really excited about the opportunities there. So I think huge, huge opportunity in 2023 for cannabis, cannabis cafes to kind of finally come out. What are some of the opportunities, Rochelle, that you're seeing in 2023 and beyond for cannabis? Well, as I was saying earlier, the beverages um, coming online in other markets and even in California, um, that to me is really exciting. Um, that's another thing that I'm really exploring a lot of lately, especially comparing California to Minnesota and how they've come online. I was at the woods um, in LA over the weekend and they just opened their consumption area and it includes a cannabis bar. So you can belly up and it's like being at a really high end uh, establishment, except it's only cannabis on the menu. Um, you can sit and you can have a glass of champagne that's cannabis infused without alcohol. You can have a hot drink. It was really pleasant. And in Minnesota, that's happening as well because the regulators um, legalized, I say that with air quotes because it was never really illegal to begin with, but they regulated Delta 9 THC derived from hemp. And when they did that, all of the brewers started getting in the mix which you don't really see in other markets because they really keep that separate, the alcohol and the cannabis licenses, right? But I went to a pop-up in Minneapolis and it was a cannabis tap room and you walked in and it was the tap room experience, which is a very, very popular pastime in the Midwest, um, going to a bar or tap room, but it was all cannabis beverages, seltzers, hard kombuchas, zero alcohol. And seeing all these people from all these different demographics and different walks of life sitting, they're sipping, they're enjoying, they're mellow, they're having fun, they're out in the open. And speaking to the consumers, they were just so thrilled to be able to have the experience of being at a bar or a tap room without the alcohol, because so many people are moving away from, from consuming alcohol for one reason or the other. And it was really interesting to speak to the tap room employees who were saying, gosh, it's such a breath of fresh air to have such a relaxed crowd, you know, because usually they, they would say, as the night goes on, it gets louder and louder. And we have to turn the music up because people are getting louder and louder. And I can't hear myself think, but everyone here is mellow. It's relaxed. They're calm. They're cool. And they're just having a nice time. And so being able to see more of those types of experiences open up, especially in Vegas, I'm very interested in seeing what happens in Vegas with the, with the consumption lounges there. Um, but we're just offering more opportunities for people. Um, there's no one size fits all, whether it's in our industry or others. And just having the, the choices, I think consumers are going to be really excited about that. So the hospitality side is something that I think should be really exciting for cannabis this year. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put together a tour uh, in Vegas on that Monday. So I think that's like the 28th of November. Uh, so you got a couple of, of weeks to to plan that if you want to come along. Uh, Definitely. More than welcome to be my guest if you're there that early. Um, so last question, because I wanted to briefly touch on on the future of cannabis. And I think that um, MSOs and, and the future of MSOs, are good and bad. They're going to pave the way for mom and pops to kind of follow in their, their footsteps in, in terms of the um, infrastructure that, that MSOs are laying out. It's too expensive for mom and pops to afford that themselves. And so when these MSOs create them great, and then they're going to fail eventually look at Tilray, um, look at a lot of these other guys, Cureleaf. Did they just leave Oregon, California, and Colorado? I mean, what's the future of that when you have to go to a limited license state where there's no competition? I mentioned I've tried 155 samples for a Washington Cup, and the majority of them are super harsh. Um, you know, plant growth or uh, PGRs. It's 
I, there needs to be better options out there. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering if you feel the same way. And another loaded question, if you feel the same way I do, that the Cure Leafs demise is a good thing for the industry, assuming you even think that this is um, a path towards destruction of having to go towards limited license states. <laughs> you know, that is a loaded question. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Cure Relief, but at the same time, I also don't think it's good news that they're pulling out of these markets. I think it's, it's interesting um, that the culture has rejected them, but at the same time, you know, what does it say to the general public about our industry? Because they don't know any better, right? Like they don't know the problems that Cure Relief um, has and how problematic they are, right? But what they see is, oh, this big company is pulling out of these really mature markets. Um, cannabis must not be doing that well. So maybe it's an opportunity for a reckoning, but I don't think it's a great look overall. Um, but what I do think is that the cream of the crop will rise, but only if they have the opportunity to do so. I, I really truly believe that a lot of the best flour is sun grown and the consumers don't know that. I had the same conversation uh, with one of the bud tenders at the woods. I said, I, cause I hear them referring to it as outdoors and how, you know, some people are trying to move toward, no, we're calling it sun grown now, but the gal I was speaking with suggested we call it living soil because people, at least in that demographic in that neighborhood in LA, they like stuff that's healthier, that's better for the environment. So will we have to rebrand outdoor or sun grown so that people can understand the benefits that it has? Maybe. So I do think that there will be a lot of changes in the market. I do think there will be more consolidation. Do I think that there needs to be less boof and like less trash on the market? Yes. Um, but at the same time, I also believe that there is a market for mids. I do believe that there can be decent cannabis that, you know, maybe a connoisseur wouldn't appreciate, um, but somebody else on more of a budget would. And so we have to remember that there's something for everyone, not just those of us who are lucky enough to experience the higher end premium products. You know, there is truly something for everyone, as I said before. Um, it's just a matter of educating the consumers. And so I think that's going to be a big part of how we thrive as an industry and get more people activated to the medicine is just letting them know that there is something for you. I get honestly frustrated with the kind of the heady culture at times and how it's a flex to have, you know, an $80 eighth or an $80 gram of rosin, you know, the majority of Americans can't afford that. And so if we are actively pushing products that people feel they cannot obtain themselves, and that everything else is less desirable, like that's a problem too, if you ask me. Yeah, my podcast, uh, my next podcast tomorrow is on bud tender education and available resources and things because I think they are kind of the heartbeat to the industry in terms of being able to understand and get that that product knowledge out there to a lot of those folks who don't understand. It's overwhelming. You know, in Washington State, you see 1,800 products on the shelf and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Or if you're a visual person and you're stuck on a pad and you don't really know what to do because it's 2D and it's not a great experience, either way, you kind of need to figure that out. Um, so yeah, lots of opportunities there. My go-to, by the way, is a is an outdoor. It's maybe 17% um, sun-grown. And that's my go-to because it's organic, pesticide-free. And uh, I'm able to smoke that throughout the day without it being overwhelming. So that's kind of what I prefer. Um, some other people just want that indica and just, you know, not be able to communicate. Or what, yeah, everyone has their own style. Everyone has their own preference. Uh, all of that. So for me, uh, I guess you could call that a mid. That's my preference. That's my go-to. <laughs> I love sun grown. Honestly, like I would far prefer 
sun-grown, terpene-rich cannabis cultivated sustainably um, than something indoor under a light. Um, people don't realize the environmental impact that indoor has. They certainly don't understand the, the lack of terpenes that tends to pop up when you have a 35% THC. There's no room for terps and people don't realize that. So, you know, to our earlier point, as we've been saying this whole time, it's all about the education. And it sounds like, you know, you're doing a lot of great work to, to help educate people as well. So I commend you for that. Trying, trying to. I'm also trying to normalize and professionalize it. And I get a lot of backlash too, because it, it seems like I'm coming at it from this business standpoint, but that's my own uh, interpretation and my own background in, in banking too and business. So uh, hopefully we're doing a good job in, in normalizing it and professionalizing it regardless. If people want to educate themselves, I know you have a ton of resources, Rochelle, where can they find you at? Um, definitely follow me on Instagram at Rochelle the Writer. Um, I'm also active on LinkedIn. So for sure, check me out on LinkedIn. It's Rochelle Gordon. And I have a muck rack. You can check out my work on there. Follow me there. And yeah, scope me out in all my publications, MG, Beard Rose, Skunk, Cannabis Now, and more to come. Yeah, all over the place. And we will put her LinkedIn uh, in the description so that you can uh, follow her and all that good stuff. So I think with that, we're gonna have to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, Rochelle Gordon. I appreciate you being on the Talking Hedge. Thank you so much, Josh. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.